All right, hello friends. We are back with Shining Pod. Um, this is our first ever technical episode. We had our little, I guess we'd call it a teaser episode, but now we actually have a co-host with me today is Jeremy Doolin of at Doolin Digital on Twitter. And he is the current creator of Ballad of Thuriana. And he joins me today. Okay, thank you very much, Daniel. I appreciate being here. I've been looking forward to it. I know. It seems I can find podcasts on pretty much everything except this game. Which you would think at some point, I mean, at the very least, uh, a tactical RPG fan podcast or something. Uh, but you weren't able to find anything like it, huh? Ab absolutely nothing. You could find like maybe like a spot episode from like retro gaming pods, but nothing fully dedicated to this, which I, I think it deserves. Sure. We'll see what we can do with it. <laughs> yeah, it might be a six episode sort of thing, but... We're gonna gonna give it to the old college try. Sure, you might be surprised. I know. <laughs> the more I think about it, the more that seems to come to mind. But I just I don't want to like squeeze. What's the expression? Squeeze the rock till it bleeds. Something. Yeah. All right. So, how did you first get into Shining Force? Uh, well, I I take a certain matter of pride in saying, in uh, not too long after it was introduced to the world, uh, I grew up in a small town and had two very close friends, James and Jeff, and neither of our none of our families had a whole lot of money growing up, and so we only had one current gen gaming system at, at any time, and this was of course during the 16-bit wars where uh, you know, Sega and Nintendo were vying for domination. And so uh, my friend Jeff was the first one of us to get a 16-bit system. He got the, uh, the Sega Genesis in, I want to say, Christmas of 1993. I think it would be later the next year before I got a Super Nintendo. So between all of us, we had the, the modern generation consoles. Early 1994, that we all first saw Shining Force for the first time. And I think they just, uh, I think Jeff just bought it at a store and said, hey, that looks cool. Uh, I'll buy that. And we tried it out and that was it. Awesome. Um, I found the game um, way, way, way later, um, probably in the early 2000s. Um, I was at Walmart and I saw the Sega Smashback and I was super oh. excited to play um, Golden Sun or not Golden Sun, what's it called? Golden Axe. Golden Axe. Because at the time, I thought that was the coolest game in existence. I had played it at a friend's house. And so I bought this um, Sega Smash Pack for old Windows 95. I think it was still at the time. We had an older computer. And the only games on it were like Comic Zone and Vector Man, I think is what it was called. <laughs> yeah. And Shining Force and like a few other games that have long since disappeared out of video game history. And so I, I played through all the games and all of them just were quite frankly, not very good. Yeah, and some of them didn't age well. No, Comic Zone particularly was a very, very weird game. <laughs> I don't think I've ever played that one. No, um, you're basically like an 80s, like, like street gangster sort of person and you're like flipping around comic panels and stuff. Very, very... Not very kid-friendly game, to say the least. Eventually, I had like tried all the other games, and like I tried, I'd basically given up when I found Shining Force. And then I was like playing right through it, and the first part of the game sets it up really well. But I felt like when I got to the part where Luke has like a clown nose on and stuff, <laughs> I I almost bowed out because that that was that was almost too far. But I kept playing and just 
fell in love with it. So you've got a bit of a different perspective on it then. Uh, when you know, when we first played it, it was brand new. We didn't even read about it in magazines or anything. Uh, it just sort of looked cool, which is how we bought a lot of games at that time. Um, but playing it as the as the current new thing versus playing it as a as a classic retro game. So you, you've got a very different way of looking at it. You weren't the Shining Force wasn't uh, one of the reasons that you bought the collection then. Uh, not at all. I I had no idea what it was. I had bought it for a Golden Axe and Sonic. <laughs> Were you an RPG fan at the time? Uh, no, not at all. I was um, actually more into like the the sports games. <laughs> oh, which the Sega was pretty well known for. Yeah, yeah. We were we played the daylights out of NHL '94, and I didn't even like hockey. <laughs> yeah, I played um, NBA '97 or something like that. Because <laughs> was it like the NBA Live '95? Oh yeah, it was probably that. Like the graphics were horrible. You'd shoot the ball and it'd like go into outer space and back down. <laughs> Interestingly, Shining Force was one of my earliest RPG experiences in gaming too. I had played, of course, games like uh, Legend of Zelda would have been the, the earliest type of any RPG that I played. And then I think sometime in you know, 92 or 93, I tried out Final Fantasy 2, which as it was called in the US, actually Final Fantasy 4, uh, at a friend's house and it was it was almost mystifying to me that you know we were we're playing this game and keeping track of numbers and you know this idea of hit points i was used to hearts but now we have hit points and magic points and attack and you've got all this equipment to manage so that was pretty new to me so when we played shining force i had really only ever seen uh, final fantasy 2 so my take on Shining Force was as uh, one of my own earliest RPGs. So I think that was one of the appeal, uh, the appealing parts of, of Shining Force to me as well. Yeah, I think what what stood out for me was that it was strategy. Like it didn't matter how fast I was moving my thumbs. It was more about how I was planning out what my attacks were going to be. So that's what really stood out to me and why I kept playing. Yeah, I like that too. I mean, it, not to say that I didn't like uh, games that required fast thinking. I've I've been a Street Fighter player for a very long time, but it was actually nice to just sit back and have a more uh, slower, methodical game to play, too. So I like that part of it. My problem was I'm not that good at video games, so, like, they'd give me, like, <laughs> like 30 seconds to do something, and it'd take me, like, an hour and a half. <laughs> like, after that hour and a half, I'd be so frustrated, there was just no way I was going to keep playing. <laughs> I, I was... When, uh, when it came to games like Street Fighter, I was really good in my local group but once i got into a much larger group uh i could find people who could just obliterate me so i was a god locally but then not so much when somebody from out of town came in that really knew what they were doing yeah that's kind of my problem with video games nowadays like i could play call of duty but like i don't have enough time to become a tactical genius and all that so slower games like shining force i can kind of plug in when i can't have time and then i can keep keep going so other than that slower pace what else did you find appealing about it i liked that there were a lot of characters and we'll probably get to it that there's a lot of like a lot of weird characters yes <laughs> a lot of useless characters too <laughs> but like i like archetypes so like a yeah, game that's going to give me every single one <laughs> is just awesome yeah i'm i was a reader at the time too well actually i should say i was becoming a reader I think it was about that time that I had just started reading the Wheel of Time series uh, and some Dragonlance books, uh, the Dragon Riders of Pern, um, and oh, what was the other one? The, the Coldfire trilogy. 
those were some of my earliest fantasy novels. And so this was all sort of happening at the same time. Oh, and Dungeons and Dragons. I can't forget that too. I was just being introduced to Dungeons and Dragons. So this, this whole world of fantasy RPGs, uh, you know, slaying dragons and, and, and role-playing a, a knight or a warrior or a mage, um, all this sort of came together at about the same time. And so Shining Force was just a great way to indulge in that. Yeah, so you were you were born into this game. Absolutely. <laughs> just ready to go, and I was I was adopted into it. <laughs> All right, so what else do you like about the game? Well, you mentioned the number of characters, and that was one of the first things that I noticed about it. In, uh, of course, in Zelda, you're only playing one character. Uh, Secret of Mana, you had three. And then something like Final Fantasy II, four, uh, you had only up to, what, five at a time, but they would come and go. What was so cool about Shining Force is that you had this army that you were building and you had choice. Uh, and so what was really cool was that all three of uh, all three of us were playing the game. Uh, my two friends were just a couple of days ahead of me, so a few battles each, we'll say. Uh, but we all three played it just a little bit differently. And we all three chose different characters. Once, you're, once the cast got big enough, uh, once you got over 12 characters, we were starting to choose different ones to stick with. And that gave us an opportunity to see what all these other characters were capable of. Um, but just this whole idea of this big pool of characters that you could draw from and build your army the way that you wanted to, I found that particularly appealing. Yeah, that was definitely one of the best parts for me that like, if you don't like a character, you're not stuck with them the entire game. Exactly. And uh, and also the that idea of sort of having a pet character, that one that you you just you believe in them and you're gonna level them up and you know you're gonna make it happen uh, with this particular character. And of course, sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. Some sometimes the battle is just is just too much. <laughs> yeah. There was something about the aesthetic of Shining Force that really appealed to me too. There was there was something uh, while the game was colorful, at the same time the there were parts of the color palette that were a little bit darker. And you can see this, especially when the characters are promoted. And I know this is partially a limitation to the Genesis, but they really worked well with it, that the colors were just a little bit dark and the game itself was just a little bit dark and gritty. Uh, it, it didn't have that colorful sort of buoyance that the second one had, that was everything was a little bit more bubbly and upbeat. Shining Force One had just that little bit more of, I thought it was more of a sense of, of danger and foreboding. Like there was trouble everywhere I could go. Definitely. And I think like another thing is like they go darker, but like they add like really like weird sort of humorous like twists. Like um, when you're um, at the beginning, I think of the second chapter, like you get to see a play of the Runefaust <laughs> Knights <laughs> killing Max. <laughs> that is terrific. Yes. <laughs> Might be one of my favorite parts of the game. And when you defeat most of the battles, they redo the the entire play and Max is the winner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that, that, that's a great part. Uh, and there's all sorts of little bits of humor like that scattered throughout the game. Just like the, the one that, I, that comes to my mind is the king that runs the shop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it's in Warl. What? Who says a, a, can, a king can't also run a shop? So just you know, fun little stuff like that. Yeah, and then there's like, um, I think his name's Boken, and he's just like in every town. Yeah, this lost. <laughs> I was actually expecting Boken to join the party at some. 
Yeah, I, I did too. I guess the the only tip off that that wouldn't be the case is that you don't get to see a picture of what he looks like. <laughs> Which is, you know, it's so obvious in hindsight, but at the time I didn't think about it. I know, me too. I I was like, did like I did I miss something that like unlocks him so he joins you? See, that's what I thought that there was some sort of you know like the Domingo egg. Uh, or reading the note, I just thought, man, what if I miss something like back in chapter three, and uh, and I'll just I'll never be able to get him. Yeah. So the next time I played it, I actually kept anything. Your first time playing, you must have missed like all all the secret stuff because it, it's all the secrets are really secret. Interestingly enough, between the three of us, remember, because there were three of us playing, mm -hmm. and since there were three save files, that actually made things really convenient. Since there were three of us, and we had three eyes on the game, we all found Domingo and Hanzo and Masashi. What what we did miss were the dresses. We didn't uh, we didn't find those. I found out most of the secrets through FantasyAnime.com. Oh yeah, I love that site. Yeah, I I had emailed them about either like being on the pod or um, like repping the pod, <laughs> but he was too he was too busy. Well, we'll try again at some point. <clears throat> Definitely. All right, so let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and delve even more into the first game. All right, sounds good. All right. Back from the break. Um, now we're going to get more into the plot, characters, uh, different aspects of the game, and, and the music that goes along with it. So, Jeremy, what did you think of the plot? Well, the plot was... It's it's something that looking back at now is kind of standard. Uh, there's an ancient civilization. You have a character that's uh, got a memory problem, long lost brothers, a dark wizard that's bringing back a dark dragon. Um, so all of that sort of that's it's almost like a trope now, but in context at the time, it was still extremely cool. Even as tropey as it is, it's still really well executed especially for a 1993 game i thought anyway but since you had uh, you've got to experience this after playing or well say after the introduction of a lot other a lot of other games uh what was your thought on it initially i thought that the first game was like not in a negative way but very like cookie cutter very along the, the hero arc the characters kind of helped push the sluggish plot as it were yeah so, like, a lot of the characters, like, you get in relation to the story. So, like, you get Zylo by, like, freeing him from, they kind of make him crazy, and they, you go get, like, the Lunar Dew, and it yes. heals him. And that, like, pushes your plot forward. The cool character designs kind of help it help along the sluggish plot. I feel like in the second game, it gets a little more interesting as far as the story goes. But the first game, the characters are just, like, so interesting in the, like they designed them so well like it makes you want to keep going to like see what other characters you can unlock yeah and but that was uh that was the one downside is there were a lot of these characters that you know you you have 30 some odd characters in your army and uh you don't really get to know much about them you you learn whatever little bits you come across as you as you pick the characters up so xylo you get a little bit more of his backstory, and uh, and in the same town, Bastoke, you get the Kokichi, which you can miss him too. Uh, yep. But Kokichi, you know, he's this quirky little inventor. Uh, but that's about all the more you get from him. Uh, you, you get that really cool-looking centaur knight, Ernest. Uh, 
with the scar and the white hair and he just looks awesome, but you don't know a whole lot about him. So that was one thing that, uh, that I, even then I wanted to know more about these characters. And I, I hoped that in a sequel we would find out. So when there was a sequel, I was excited except until I found it was a completely different cast. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really relying on like the character designs. It's kind of how I feel about Star Wars, where you have like all these like interesting characters. You can really get to know them if you read like the the books and the comics and things. But like if you're just watching the movies, there aren't like super well developed characters. Yeah, yeah, especially the prequel cool trilogy. <laughs> exactly, the prequels are like the perfect example. <laughs> yeah. I think my favorite aspect of the Shining Force story was that that whole ancient civilization, which has done been done many times. Uh, but you kept as you played through the game, you kept getting more and more hints. There was real technology out there uh, and it had been lost. And Runefaust was just sort of trying to to uncover it. Of course, the most memorable uh, event of all uh, with regards to the uh, lost technology is the laser eye. And nobody who's ever played Shining Force forgets that battle. I think that that is probably in one of my top battles. I've introduced Shining Force to a lot of younger players. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm a college instructor and uh, I teach computer courses. So I get a lot of gamers in my curriculum. And so I get I actually get to make connections with the students because of the, you know, having that in common younger uh, players who enjoy like the fire emblem games it's typically not too difficult to get them to try shining force and uh, i've gotten several to try it and almost all of them remark on the laser eye battle yep that battle and then um the the full out field battle with elliot i think are my top two battles in the in the game now is that in terms of just fun factor or difficulty um fun factor definitely as far as difficulty goes, I'd say the battle in the cathedral uh, where you oh, get... Oh, uh, Shade yes. Abbey. Yes, the Shade Abbey battle was probably the most frustrating battle in the entire game. <laughs> I would have to agree. The first time I played it, I was just overwhelmed with how, how, how little space I had to move around. Uh, but at the same time, I think that's what made it so great. And um, my first time playing through, like I still like the strategy of it. So my max was level one because I was trying to protect him. Oh, no. <laughs> my max wasn't level one, but uh, I had no concept of grinding at the time. So my characters, by the time I got to Shade Abbey, were just whatever level they happened to be. It it might not have been that much. That's not a particularly late battle. Um, that's... I think it's in the first 10. Yeah, I think so too. That's not uh, that's not too long after the uh, Man Arena, the Wizard City. Compared to how I would play the game now, I was woefully unprepared for Shaded Abbey. So that was that one was really challenging. Yeah, because none of your um, your physical fighters can do much to them. You have to have your magic people ready to go. Yep, and if you lose one and you lose an archer, you're, <laughs> that's you're it. You're in for a tough time. <laughs> I think. Um, it was the first time. This actually uh, reminds me of a, a funny story. You know those stories that you uh, that you accumulate as you're growing up. You know, teenage years, and you've just got those stories that you can continue to go back to with your friends and repeat them. Uh, we've got one related to Shining Force, and this is a pretty good time for that, I think. Uh, so I, I mentioned that my friend Jeff got his Genesis for Christmas in uh, December of '93. In the same year, he also got this rad new CD player. And so we were enjoying this new musical medium too and just getting all sorts of different CDs. I think he uh, 
a membership to Columbia House or, or uh, what was the other one? Columbia uh, House and BMG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had BMG for a while. Yep. Uh, so we were exploring all this new music, and and he got Billy Joel's greatest hits, and so we'd play games and just put that music, put whatever CD music uh, was on. So. I was playing, it would have been the third battle, and it was my very first time playing Shining Force. Uh, so it's the third battle on the way from Guardiana to Alterone. And it's Dark Dwarves and Bats and a couple of uh, Rune Knights. I wasn't grinding, so my characters were really low level. Oh, no. And I was struggling through this battle. I kept getting put to sleep <laughs> by the Bats, and I couldn't attack. And just one by one, my characters were dropping. Meanwhile, at the same time, Billy Joel is playing, and it's that song about uh, Saigon, Good Night Saigon, uh, <laughs> where the the, uh, the 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 chorus is, uh, "So we will all go down together." <laughs> as as my characters are all dying, it, it was just this beautifully humorous moment and i i died max died and i lost the battle and had to start that over uh but that was that was just a thing of humorous beauty i loved it it's almost worth it happening for like the lyrical beauty of that <laughs> oh it was it, it was fantastic again one of those stories that, that, that when the three of us together there's not there's there's a fair chance of it coming up if we talk about rpgs or shining force at all that's awesome so what were some of your go-to characters that you liked that's changed a good bit over the years. Really? Um, when I first started playing, there were some characters that off right off the bat, they're really good, like Pell, okay? The knight that you get at the end of the laser eye battle. Mm -hmm. We just all thought that he was amazing. And so we all, he was like, all, for all three of us, he was our top centaur knight. Uh, and we, you know, we liked May because she got a high defense and we kept Ken around for a while, but we just thought Pell was it. So he was one of our go-tos. He got the devil lance. Uh, he was, he was our priority. As time passed though, I discovered Arthur. We had tried leveling him up, leveling him up a few times, but none of us had quite the patience at the time, especially at that part of the game. So we all gave up on him in those early days. It wasn't until about 2002 and I did a replay of Shining Force and thought, you know, I'm really going to give this guy a try. I'm going to level him up and we're going to see what happens. And it wasn't long before I completely benched Pell. I could not get over how powerful Arthur got. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite parts about Arthur is that you find him like folding laundry. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, yep. <laughs> one of the weird like quirks of the game. <laughs> um, another character that I came to like later later on that I didn't at first was Chris. I held on to Low for a long time, and I think it wasn't until I got Tarasu that I really picked up another healer. Mm -hmm. uh, but one one playthrough, I just decided let's keep Chris around and see what happens. And she got incredible defense, and even some pretty decent attack. She gets the Aura spell. So I was surprised. I, I kept her in for the whole time. And so she became another one of my go-to characters. Um, one of my earliest pet characters was Gong. Oh, yeah? <laughs> he's, he's never going to be one of the best characters in the army. But I really liked the guy. He was one of the ones that I kept that neither of my friends did. I thought, no, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to care for this guy. I'm going to level him up. We're going we're gonna to see what happens. And he actually became pretty good. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so he's he's one of those characters where anytime I play through, there's a good chance I'm going to keep him just because there's something about that, you know, rural monk, you know, beating enemies down with his bare fists or a blue flame later on. But I I like him. And then the other uh, the other slightly less uh, common character that I like to use. I'm sorry, I'm coming up with a blank. We'll have to come back to it. Um, but I think some of the other ones, they're a little bit more obvious. I think most people hang on to to, to Tao or Teo or however you pronounce it. And Henri, you, know, you got to have your magic users get for your area of effect. Uh, and then Domingo, who doesn't keep Domingo. Oh, Domingo's awesome. Yeah. And who are some of your staples? Uh, so mine, um, definitely Zylo. I, oh, yeah. Fairly certain he's one of the best, in, if not the best in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and Musashi, if that's how you pronounce it. Probably yeah. Butchered that. Um, those were like my two powerhouses. Um, one of my sort of like weird take ones would be Balbori. Oh, yeah, the bird. Um, you have to really, really, really work for that one, but it's totally worth it because he, he can fly. So even in that laser eye level, like he can be like a super resource for you. Because he can fly up and face the Pegasus Knights. I always had trouble keeping on, uh, keeping hold of the the Birdmen, Amon and and Balbury. Like the idea was great, but I could, well, and there's this also. There's also that element of uh, randomness in uh, your level up stats. Yep. Did you know about that? Yeah, I noticed that um, every time I play, like different characters will be better than others. Yeah. A lot of the time, like you have some constants, like Xylo's always been good, but other times, like. Ken will be out by battle seven and may will still be in there or vice versa. Yeah. I've had games where, uh, well, a good example here would be Gort. Uh, I usually keep him in until the end, but there've been a couple of playthroughs where he just, just didn't seem like he could ever keep up. And I benched him for somebody else. Yeah. Gort usually stayed in for the end until me, uh, also with me. And then, um, Luke usually made it till the end. Um, what are some of the characters you you didn't like or didn't want on your team? Usually the Birdmen. Uh, I would probably get rid of them pretty quickly. I just couldn't, uh, I just, despite their mobility, they just weren't causing enough damage. Uh, you know, they could move anywhere they wanted to, but then they'd get surrounded and destroyed. And I just had a hard time working them into my strategy. Uh, Vancar, you get that knight uh, right after, I think it's it's I think it's right before the battle with General Elliot. So you get Vancar. Yeah, uh, he's like just another knight, so I hardly ever take him. Hans and Diane both, Definitely. as soon as I get the opportunity, they're <laughs> done. I mean, I love the idea of the of the archers and the ranged characters, but man, I, they just can't make them worth taking. Lyle later on, sometimes I'll take him. Yeah, I can sometimes work Lyle in. Yeah, even even I can even do without him. For me, archers weren't using until Shining Force CD. Even in Shining Force 2, I didn't hold on to them. I loved the brass gunners, uh, which I guess you know, we'll talk about in more detail in another uh, episode. But I couldn't work them into my strategy either. But then Shining Force CD, which, of course, is just remakes of the, the Gaiden games on the Game Boy or the Game Gear. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if the Game Gear has the same stats and level progression uh, as the Sega CD version. That'd actually be an interesting experiment. Um, but I, my archers in Shining Force CD were just monsters. I had it, it was I had to restrain them oh, uh, really? to keep from stealing all the experience points. I, it was ridiculous. Yeah, definitely in the first game, they're woefully underpowered. <laughs> and it wouldn't have taken them too much 
to bring them up to speed. Uh, you know, just a little bit more attack or or maybe a little bit better agility so that they got like obviously more turns and got that opportunity uh, or or uh, they were much harder to hit. I think um, I have a story about Hans. Uh, my first time playing through um, was right around when Lord of the Rings was coming out. <laughs> and I was obsessed with Legolas. So I naturally gravitated towards Hans as like he was going to be my best player. Oh, man. I powered him up to level 10 as soon as possible. I promoted him and then just like heart sunk. <laughs> <laughs> Like, and he's so great at first, so you probably got this false impression. Yep. <laughs> he really is good. In those first couple of chapters, you, he's he's very useful, long range. Yeah, he's not getting countered. Uh, it's like, this is great. I'm going to have this awesome elven archer. It's not until about the time you get Zylo uh, with uh, Bustoke and Pow and the battle with, uh, uh, with Elliot that they start to sink. Yep, and then just... I had spent all this time making him my ultimate power player, and just the promotion just kills his value, <laughs> kills it. <laughs> okay, so what was your reaction to yogurt? I, I don't get all the hype, I guess. I think it's fun, but <laughs> so there's hype. There is. I, I feel I, I feel that that's like when you see people like making what little there are of like shining force memes, it's usually like him. <laughs> I see a lot of artwork out there that uh, often features yogurt. So maybe it's one of those you had to be there. We all wondered what on earth he was there for. Of course, we, we thought we thought maybe there was some trick to him. Mm -hmm. um, two of my friends tried putting him in battle just to see what would happen. And when they realized he had one hit point and they couldn't get a kill with him, they just gave up. I was the first of the three of us to actually persist and plan so that he could get a kill. And uh, so we were shocked to see that he couldn't level up. And <laughs> we got the yogurt ring and then gave that to, we first gave it to him because thinking, hey, maybe if you give yogurt the yogurt ring, he'll actually be awesome or something. <laughs> nope. <laughs> do anything. So we give it to somebody else and we realize we can actually make an army of yogurts. Uh, we laughed at it. We thought it was hilarious. And from then on, one of us, uh, through one of our many replays, every so often one of us would make sure to get the kill and give somebody a yogurt ring just to just for the, the fun of it. Mm -hmm. uh, so our our memories of yogurt were at first it was like, what the heck is this? But then they there uh, we we can laugh at it. And I, I guess I can kind of get the hype. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's definitely like one of those like weird, quirky things like the play or or Boken, Arthur doing laundry kind of stuff. Do you take Adam? I do not. And another thing that might surprise you is I also don't take Blue. I don't either, believe it or not. Now, what's your reasoning? Uh, just at that point, I feel like I've put enough effort into other people that I can't spend time letting a little dragon get one one attack damage per turn. That's exactly the same problem that I have. By that time, I feel like I've invested in a bunch of characters, and I, it's like I just don't feel like I need them. Um, however, it, just talking about it makes me think I probably should do another playthrough and include him at some point. So I give him a chance? Yeah. Yeah, I remember one... I've played through 
probably five or six times at this point. I did get him promoted, but even then I felt like he was not really a useful piece at that point. Oh, I guess he's terrifying if you level him up properly, but it's it's just so late in the game. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about Adam also. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to like Adam because I just thought it was the coolest thing to have a robot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I take Zinc and Shining Force 2. That makes it up for it just a little bit. Oh, yeah. I really like Zinc and Shining Force 2. Yeah, I do too. We'll, we'll get to that. But yeah. <laughs> have you ever done a playthrough where you don't keep any of your normal characters? I haven't. That might be worth trying. Just like a team full of healers. <laughs> Yeah, just like a total second string. Um, I haven't done this either. I try to make it a point in every playthrough to take at least one character that I don't normally take, Mm -hmm. just for the heck of it. Because I'm good enough at the game by now that I'm never going to have an army that I absolutely just can't win with. So it's really fun now to, to just experiment. But what I've never done is gone completely second string, using only characters uh, that I wouldn't have otherwise used. Main problem with that is I wouldn't be able to keep any of the mages. Are are you big into choosing the mage characters? Oh, I love mage characters in any RPG. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's what I usually play in Dungeons and Dragons. Really? Yeah, I love wizards. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I tend to lean away from the wizards, but maybe that's just because I don't. Because I feel like uh, one of the first one or two times I played through, I felt like a lot of the. The magical characters, their spells would kind of reach a certain point and like they wouldn't do any more damage like Xylo and the muscle bound folks would it keep going up the amount of damage they'd be able to do. But the wizards were capped by their damage. Yep. So like you'd get uh, Teo to like level four blaze and like that do like 36 damage, which is like pretty good. But was Xylo can do like 72 yeah really really grind it out yeah exactly yeah level four blaze isn't it's all right level three blaze is what i find more useful just getting the area of effect yeah and it burns less magic points too so you can use it more often it does yeah exactly so i would tend to lean away from the magical people so maybe i'm actually playing through right now i was playing um uh can't remember the name of it right now Yes, I was playing that, and my computer died, and when I restarted it, it hadn't saved my my game and set me back like a couple of chapters, and I just didn't have the heart to keep going, so I figured I'd try oh. out. <laughs> so I started playing the Game Boy Advance version of Shining Force. What do you think of that? Since we're on, since it's basically a, a remake uh, of Shining Force One, what are your thoughts? Um, so. I, I'm just about to the Shady Abbey battle, so that could color my opinion that I haven't had to do that yet. But mm-hmm. I think I like it better, or I think I like the original better. I think I like Max not having as much dialogue. Mm-hmm. Some of the new characters, which I haven't gotten too far into how they, they are involved in the story, but it seems like they're like kind of forcing some of the subtle details on you. Yeah. <laughs> but the the gameplay style, actually... I don't mind that. I like the graphics of the original better, just because I like yes. those, those <laughs> old 8-bit games. Yeah, I absolutely prefer the graphics to the original. Yeah. Um, there were there's, there are some points that, that I really don't care for. Some things felt easier. Um, some battles felt easier that I thought were more challenging in the original. And uh, stat and level progression seems to be a lot different for some characters, too. So a lot of characters didn't level up the way I expected them to. And I thought, boy, they're uh, not as... I don't even remember who they were because I've only played through it once. 
you know, it was it was a fun playthrough, but I've always just gone back to the Genesis version. It, it just wasn't quite the same. I know. It's like just different enough to have be like a little less appealing. The best part by far, and one of the items that I definitely took away from it was if you kept the characters in battle and leveled them up and talked to them at headquarters, you would get backstory. That was the best part for me. That is cool. And you, you can get a little of that on the original game, but it, um, I feel like on the original, when you talk to them, they're more of either like bragging that they should be with you or complaining about that. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> that's really all they do. But in uh, in the... Oh, goodness. What is it? What's the subtitle for the Game Boy Advance? Re uh, Resurrection of Dark Dragon. Yes. Uh, yeah. That one, I, you know, you actually get character backstory, but only if you use them, which I thought was a, a cool idea. That's really my only motivation for playing through it again is to get some more backstory for some of the other characters. I think you get cards that way, too, which really I, cards didn't belong in Shining Force. I'm sorry. I haven't gotten to the point where I know what the cards are for yet, but... I'm not hopeful that that will add much to the game. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Just play it like you normally would. I just ignored cards totally. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's another one of those things where you can miss them, and if you happen to miss them, you've got to redo stuff or get it through the next playthrough. No thanks. I can deal without cards. <laughs> yeah, it just seems like the side quests in Legend of Zelda where some of them are fun and worth doing, and other ones you're just like chasing chickens around. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> You're not really, really get gaining anything from it. So um, as far as like the music goes for the game, did you listen to a lot of the original like music or were you listening to Billy Joel the whole time? <laughs> a combination of both. Um, if I was just playing the game by myself, I usually left the music on because I do like it. My friends were just a little bit less tolerant of video game music than I was. Um, once we had played a game long enough that we all sort of got the music, we would often then start listening to other stuff and we would only keep the game, uh, music at a, a level low enough just for feedback or high enough just for feedback. But we'd, uh, we'd keep the, we'd have the music on. So very, I do have a strong association with Billy Joel and Shining Force, which is funny you say that. I love the music in, uh, really all the Shining Force games have good music, but Shining Force 1 is fantastic. Have you heard the epic metal remix of the Shining Force music? I have not, but I know. Holy smokes. Okay. <laughs> um, if you can open a web browser right now, go to YouTube. Okay, I'm going to do this. All right, see, I'm, I'm going to go look this up right now. Epic metal Shining Force. That's all you have to search for. It is, uh, it's called Epic Metal Shining Force Medley by Connor Engstrom. And uh, I'm going to better stop it here before I get some audio. Okay. It is nothing short of phenomenal. And it's so good that if you scroll down in the comments, there is a comment from Masahiko Yoshimura himself, the composer of the Shining Force One music, no that's kidding. complimenting this guy on how good of a job he did. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. We'll have to maybe reach out to him and see if we can get some of that on the for the pod. Oh man, that would be phenomenal because it's it's marvelous. It's when when you hear this guy's uh, mix, it's it's like this is what it was meant to be from the beginning. You know, this is it, it's just sounds so right. Even though it's a metal version, it sounds so right and so like just listening to it makes me want to play it. <laughs> Very simple. Yeah, I love the music for the game. I don't usually care about the music for the games. To be honest, I usually turn it off and play in, in silence or put on music or. Mm -hmm. 
if I'm feeling like super lazy, I'll watch something while I play. I thought the the music for Shining Force was right up there with some of the Legend of Zelda music. Oh yeah. I mean, it's it's really well composed. There's there's also some clever uh, musicianship going on. Yeah, I say musicianship. Uh, <laughs> like I really mean com- composing. The only track that I'm not a fan of is the village music. Uh, it just sounds like a circus. Oh uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> but there's something really cool going on with the village music, and one of the battle tracks. Mm-hmm. If you listen carefully, to, it's one of the mo- it's one of the more intense battle tracks. It is basically sort of a variation on the village theme. Yeah. So check that out. Listen, listen to the village theme, and then I, I wouldn't be able to describe the name of it for you. But one of the battle tracks, and it's that real intense one. That da 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 That one. It's a variation of the village theme. So that's a, and I'm almost positive that was done intentionally. Yeah, I think that it ties back into what you were saying about the tone of the game being like a little darker smile frown sort of tone to it where like it's like really upbeat but there's some darker notes notes in there to really pull out the the darker theme of the movie uh yeah the movie the game (laughs) one of my favorite battle themes is only used on two battles you know which one it is um a little bit of trivia here for you uh, i wouldn't know the name of it off the top of my head um can you name the battles it's not and it's not the last two not the last two um there's one battle theme it's only used twice, and there's something common in between the two battles. Is it um, the Balzac one? Nope. No? Oh, <laughs> man. I, I don't think I'm going to get it. <laughs> it's, the, uh, it's the sea battles. Okay. The sea battles, there's two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's right after, I think it's right after Balzac, actually. When you're on your way to Warl, and then when you leave Warl, there's the two sea battles each one of those uses the same battle theme and it's used nowhere else in the game but it is so cool it is such a good uh good battle track uh that i was thinking that's why i was thinking baba zack or however you pronounce it battle because i know that's right before the other ocean battle and Mm -hmm. i I was close (laughs) (laughs) i want like half credit for that i like the bosses in shining force too um we were talking about tough battles earlier. Michela, I think, has got to be Ooh, yeah. one of the toughest. She's got what freeze three or freeze four by that time, and it, oh, yeah, it is just horrible to to try to arrange characters so that you can minimize damage, but you have to keep the damage going because her, she heals so fast, and she's hard to hit. So yep. <laughs> you combine all those things. She is one fearsome boss. The rest of the battle's not too bad, and it just kind of softens you up. But holy smokes, the first time I played that, I, I think I died multiple times before I figured out a way to beat her. I definitely did. Because I, like I was saying, I used a lot of like the physical, char- like the warrior characters. So like I couldn't get close enough without losing everybody. <laughs> yeah, it, it would have been hard to space them out. Too bad you didn't have decent archers. I know I needed Hans, <laughs> like a slap in the face of my former self. <laughs> um, I thought the final battle, just maybe we can wrap up the review part of this. Sure. Uh, the final battle I felt was a little disappointing because I thought Dark Dragon kind of looked more like Glop Monster. Yeah. Dragon. <laughs> yeah, the way he was sort of sticking out of the wall. It was, I mean, I guess it was 1993. It was pretty ambitious. Although the the battle cutscene graphics were pretty cool. 
Oh yeah, I, I did like that. It was also a clever idea to have the the uh, armed skeleton generator, so you had to position your characters standing on top of those, so you didn't have to constantly fight those. Yep. <laughs> Overall, though, I think the the prior battle with Dark Soul was harder. Oh yeah, I liked that battle better anyway, because I feel like he's really set up to be like your big bad. Yeah. And like I get that story wise, it had to had to get to that point where you're fi- fighting Dark Dragon, but I feel like the the Dark Soul battle was way way better how long was it before you well first of all before you knew that there was a special final attack that max could do and before you actually did it a special final attack with the, like using the the sword as kind yeah. of a magic attack yeah uh, not as not using it as magic but if you use max to score the final hit against dark dragon you get a special animation oh that i didn't notice yeah, I we guess. didn't know about it. So Jeff and James had both played through the game, and we all three watched. We played games constantly together, so we were there. And we just, who knows who they got the final hit with, you know? It could have been a mage or, or Pell or somebody. Mm-hmm. So we didn't see it. When I fought Dark Dragon, just by luck, I wasn't planning on doing this, but just by luck, Max got the final hit. And when he did, he took this... This this animation started that we hadn't seen before, and all three of us were like, "What is what's going on?" And there's a it's as far as I know, it is unique to this moment in the game. So that if you strike the final blow, you get something special. So now you've got another reason to play through. I know. I hope it's similar on the the Game Boy version since I'm working on that one right now. I can't remember now that I think about it. But I'm sure on the Game Boy version, it's probably not as interesting. <laughs> Quite possibly. Not not to sell it too short, but yeah. So far, not not on board. <laughs> That's actually a good question. I don't I don't know if it does the same thing on the Game Boy Advance version. But that that was one, that was another one of those great moments. All three of us are watching the final hit, and this special animation. Max just sort of stands up, like taking authority, and delivers the final blow. It was just awesome. Mm-hmm. I want to like play through right now just to see that. <laughs> <laughs> you got a save state somewhere? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I do. Oh, lucky. Yeah, I've got uh, I've got this little Chinese gray market device called a Dingu A320. I got it back in like 2009. It's like a 400 megahertz MIPS CPU, and uh, it it runs uh, it runs its own OS. But then there's a Linux system you can put on it too. But both of them, uh, we'll just say, can play retro games. And I've got some uh, a number of save states that I use. Right now, it's mostly just for reference. Like, I need to look, say, how does Shining Force do that? So I'll bring up a save state that shows me exactly, that's in the perfect location for me to see. Oh, wow, that's perfect. (laughs) Well, let's use that as perhaps even a smooth transition into our final segment, talking about your game. Okay, sounds good to me. (laughs) All right, we'll take a break and we'll be right back. final segment is going to be talking about Jeremy's game that he is making called Ballad of Thuriana. Got to ask, what the heck is Ballad of Thuriana? The actual Ballad of Thuriana, it's, it's sort of a framing device for the whole story. There's a, a, a very important character in the game who's a, a bard named Mirthen. And in the Shining Force games, when you, when you start the Shining Force games, you always have sort of a host character like Simone the elf in the first game 
and the witch in the second one, mm -hmm. and the wizard in Shining Force 3, and they're the ones that are inviting you to read the books or to start the adventure, uh, and it's where you choose your file. My character's going to be Mirthen, a bard. So Mirthen is the composer of the Ballad of Thuriana, but you're the one who plays the Ballad of Thuriana. You experience it because the events of this ballad, of this story, are the events of the game. So the player is kind of the creator, even though that in, in the lore, it's actually the bard Mirthen who wrote it. Thuriana is the name of the, the lead character, and her name, and so yeah, my, my lead character is a she, it's actually an aging woman. She's like somewhere in her 60s, I would say. And her name comes from the word Arthuriana. So the, the word Arthuriana is the name of an academic journal for all things Arthurian. And by that, I mean the Arthur legend. So there's this whole field of academic study all about the Arthur legend. And uh, it's certainly not my major. My major was computer science, but I also have a fascination with the medieval period and with the Arthur legend. I don't even remember exactly how I came up with it, but I thought, what if I just took the AR off of the word Arthuriana and I've got the name Thuriana? And so I kept it. I, I really liked it. So that's that's where the name of the game comes from. So it has like a very heavily like King Arthur vibe to it. it yes and no. It's if you were if you were an Arthurian scholar, you would see the hints of it all over the place. But if you're not, you probably won't notice it because there's nothing obviously Arthurian about it. There's no King Arthur. There's no Guinevere. There's no Sir Lancelot that you can tell. There's no Gawain that you can tell. There's not going to be a Holy Grail. I'm still using so... The, the Arthur legend is so big that I was able to draw a lot of character inspiration and story inspiration from it without having to use it overtly. So players won't be going through this game going, oh, well, this is right out of the Arthur legend. Uh, but a scholar might, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I guess if I'm looking for like hints and like spoilers, I don't need to read all of Arthurian history. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although what might be fascinating is that if you play Ballad of Thuriana and then read the Arthurian romances and historiography, you might actually start making the connections go and see, oh, I see where he got that from. That's cool. See, that's really cool to me because I like it when certain mediums drive you to other ones. Mm -hmm. Oh, you should see the uh, I, right next to me here in my office. Uh, I actually had my wife build me a bookcase. She's, she builds furniture. It's really cool. I had her build a bookcase just for my Arthurian and medieval library. That's awesome. I also think it's pretty cool you have a female character because in the Shining Force games I've played, all the, the characters are little boys that become soldiers <laughs> yes yeah they, they they're 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 young valiant swordsmen yep. uh, that, that grow to be heroes uh and then the the villains are old demons and and uh and wizards i've mm -hmm. sort of reversed things here where my my heroine is an aging not she doesn't use a sword she's a wizard of course okay, so <laughs> So she's an aging woman and who's a wizard. She's my lead character where where my villain is. Well, he's not exactly young, but he's the sword wielding heroic type. So I've sort of flipped things a little bit. It's going to be interesting writing uh, her character, which I spend a lot of time on. But writing her character is going to be interesting because I, I want to try to make it realistic, uh, but at the same time, compelling and interesting. I want her to be a relatable character, uh, even though she is in a different age group than than what most of the players will be. 
Mm -hmm. So what sort of age group are you looking at? So the target demographic for Ballad of Thuriana is going to be, first of all, Shining Force fans. Mm -hmm. Second, strategy RPG fans. Third, RPG fans. Fourth would be um, any sort of uh, retro style, 16-bit style uh, gamers. But I, I think even though that a, a lot of the a lot of the those groups that I mentioned are going to be uh, folks that are in our age group, you know, in our 30s, maybe 40s, I still think that there's going to be an appeal to some younger players too, who simply like RPGs and pixel graphics and fun adventures and strategy games. If a 15-year-old plays it and likes it, all the better. I'm trying to put something in there for everybody. Awesome. So as far as like tone goes, will it be similar to The Shining Force where you have like some some darker elements that are kind of played off with humor, but like humor like plugged in there just sort of randomly? Yeah. Overall, the story's going to be a little bit more serious than The Shining Force games. And ac actually, I would compare it to Shining Force 3. Um, as I'm playing Sh Shining Force 3, I think, is trying to take itself a little bit more seriously in terms of tone than uh, than the earlier Shining Force games. And I think Ballad of Thuriana is going to be very similar, where it it, uh, it has some more serious topics and, and, and uh, elements, but at the same time, I still want it to be fun and colorful. Um, and I'm going to try to pull off what humor that I can. I've, I've never considered myself a particularly humorous person, uh, so we'll see. We'll see what I can do. Maybe I'm maybe I'm funny and I don't realize it. I think the funnier people tend to be the people that don't realize it. So but yeah, in terms of tone, it's definitely it's got some serious elements, especially in some of the character backstories. There's one particular backstory that's going to have cutscenes that I'm going to have. It's going to be a challenge to create the cutscenes because it's a very sensitive topic and. But it's at the same time serious, and it's something I definitely want to be a part of the game. And it's going to give you a lot of insight into the, why this character is the way she is. Okay. So why, like, a turn-based RPG? Why not, like, Call of Duty Shining Force version or something like that? <laughs> this goes back to mm, 2000, 2001 when I was in college, and I went to college for computer science, I never seriously considered game development as a career choice. And it's still not my career choice. But at the time, I thought, boy, I sure do like playing video games, but all of my favorite games come from Japan. I don't want to have to move to Japan to have a job. You know, I don't, I don't have the, the resources to learn how to write games right now, so uh, I just totally dismissed it, the, the possibility of developing a game. But at the same time... I still had that thought of, well, what would I make if I did make, if I were able to develop a game? What would I want? Well, it was 2000. I wanted another Shining Force game. It had been a while, and I was ready for another one, and I thought, boy, if I could, I would make another Shining Force game. Final Fantasies were just coming out left and right. I didn't, I didn't need more of those. <clears throat> no problem finding a Zelda game, all the other ones. So I think part of it, was just a, a lack of there being anything else. We still didn't have Fire Emblem yet either, so I didn't even have that as a secondary option. So I thought, simply because, number one, I like the game, and because I thought it sounded like a fun game style to try to create, I thought if I ever made a video game, it would be a 2D strategy RPG like Shining Force. And as the years passed, here and there, I would think about that again. What would it be like to develop that game? And then as the indie game scene started to grow and tools became more available. We actually got, uh, you know, game development engines. Artists started discovering ways of um, supporting independent game developers online. As these things started to happen, the more serious I took it. 
But every step of the way, I kept saying, I still want to make a 2D strategy RPG. The idea just never left me. That was... So you could you could almost say that this is an 18-year-old project where I've thought about it here and there for since then, but I haven't really taken it seriously uh, since about, we'll say, two years ago. So what happened two years ago that kind of got you back on the bandwagon? Um, well, it actually got me on the bandwagon solidly. <clears throat> there were two things that happened. One was a tremendously good book by a guy named Dan Schuler. If you go to howtomakeanrpg.com, you can buy his book, and it's a digital book, and it comes with a lot, bunch of graphical assets that you can use, where he goes step-by-step step through developing a Final Fantasy-style JRPG from nothing. So this isn't using an engine like Godot or Unity or something. This is actually starting from a bare-bones framework and building it up from there. So when it covers everything, it covers everything. And I learned so much from that book. Uh, so anybody out there listening that's interested in getting into RPG development, it is worth, I think it's $45 now. I got in when it was uh, a lower price, but it is well worth that. It's worth twice that for the amount of information that it has. So that was the first thing, getting that book. And then the second thing was discovering my graphics assets. I'm not an artist, never have been, never, well, I want to say never will be, but the uh, my graphic artist insists that with enough practice I could do it. And I have done some of my own graphics in Ballad of Thuriana, just a few little things here and there. But Final Boss Blues on itch.io sells an RPG asset pack. He's designed it primarily for RPG Maker, and I think a few people have noticed that. They, they've commented that Ballad of Thuriana looks like an RPG Maker game, so that kind of makes sense. But he's an incredible artist, and his asset packs are enormous they cover so much different area and there's so many characters right in the box that that completely changed the landscape i thought well i can actually do this now i'm allowed to use these in a commercial product uh game on so that's what changed it all right well that's awesome so now without spoiling anything and kind of come at it as if you're writing like the dust jacket like what's going to be on like the back of the the case what is the basic plot of this game like how would like what's your like elevator pitch of this game okay so let me go here into i actually have a design document that i can open and read to you exactly what i would have um now this might not be i wrote this a while ago so it might not be exactly what i would write now uh, but this will cover a little bit after 10 years of rule by the huron empire an uprising has begun in the small nation of Kimland. You will be in control of the central force of this uprising. As you explore the medieval-style world of Ballad of Thuriana, you'll meet new allies and friends from all walks of life, including a hermit, a former slave, a brain-damaged sorceress, a shunned necromancer, and a fallen warrior struggling with a personal demon. Not a literal one. You'll discover places long forgotten and mysteries long hidden, solve puzzles and riddles, complete quests, and prepare your army to stand up against the might of the Huron Empire. Your army may eventually build up to over 30 characters from which you'll strategically select your battle party. You'll make use of your character's battle skills, movement abilities, and magic arts to position, defend, attack, and even negotiate in a turn-based tactical battle. Perhaps that boss character has sympathy for the uprising and would be a valuable ally. Interact with the battle stage to clear barriers, create bottlenecks, or put your enemy at a disadvantage. Pull levers, push switches, light candles, and more to aid your allies in battle, 
or discover secret passages or forgotten relics of unknown power. As your characters gain experience, they'll gain new abilities such as battle skills, special movement abilities, and spells. And after enough experience has been gained, choose to promote your character to one of two classes or more for those who can find the way. You'll discover new weapons and get the opportunity to find and rescue skilled craftsmen who can build even better ones. You'll also have the opportunity to build your own stronghold. Those you rescue can populate the base of operations for the resistance. Perhaps some of them can be of some practical use for the uprising. Interact with your allies and friends. Give them opportunities to prove their valor and do their part in the uprising. To discover more about them, unlock side quests, and unveil the answers to questions about their past or future. There's there's my dust jacket. <laughs> All right, I like it. Um, I think, like, what stands out is it really does have that, like, Shining Force, like, like, like Shining Force 2 flavor to it, where you have, like, more like intricate plot with being able to promote to different battle classes and stuff. Mm-hmm. So the basic storyline is uh, your your most of your protagonists, not all of them, but most are from this small country called Kemland that's already defeated. Uh, so you're not protecting your country from an invading force like Runefaust. Um, you're not trying to save your country from doom. You're already doomed. They're, they've already lost. It was 10 years ago. Most people have moved on and they're trying to, to move on with their new normal. <clears throat> but a few unexpected and interesting events lead to an uprising. Uh, Kimland was conquered by an empire called the Huron Empire, and they're a theocratic empire that's named after their primary deity, Hura. Um, so part of their campaign is they honestly, truly believe that they are uh, spreading light into the world, that they're the good guys that they're bringing uh, peace to the world, even though it requires violence. And the Hurons are, they're like a mix between the Romans. There's, there's definitely a Roman uh, aspect to their, to their character. Uh, but then they're also like the Normans who invaded England in 1066 with William the Conqueror and the Battle of Hastings. And I'm actually learning a lot about that right now too, is sort of, a, of an inspiration. Uh, but the, the Hurons are a very powerful group, but they're not without their flaws. And they have some pretty questionable methods of conquering and, uh, and policies. One of the things that they do is they wipe out all of the local religion. It's outlawed. It's banned. Theirs is the only true one. Um, and so true religious persecution is actually kind of part of the story. And so I explore that a bit. Um, they're also fearful of magic. This is a very big part of the story. The Hurons do not trust any magic that is not performed by one of their own priests. Anybody else, they question your motives, and there's a pretty good chance that you'll either be executed or enslaved. So these are a couple of the major conflict points. Awesome. So um, is your game more on the, well, obviously mages and stuff, but historically accurate side, or is it like Shining Force where there's like ancient technology and bird people and yogurt? and? <laughs> well, it will be a little bit, of a mix. It'll be more of a balance. So at this point, there's no plans on there being an ancient race that had technology. Bird people I'm working on. I'm not sure I've got an opportunity there, I think, with my artist, because a lot of this depends on what uh, graphics assets I have. Mm -hmm. But there are definitely dwarves and elves, orcs. In fact, orcs actually are another big part of the, the Horan conquest and another big part of the story. The Horans use orcs as almost like slave labor and as meat shields 
Um, but they promised them the world, and so they're being exploited and taken advantage of. So that's actually another element of the story that that uh, I can mention without spoiling things. Um, so yeah, there's definitely some ahistorical material in this, and magic, and uh, but there's still a lot of of real historical influence. All right. So I was on board from the very first screenshot of twi on Twitter. So you already have my money. So. <laughs> What's like the release date for this? Is this pretty far along or are you still like at the beginning? Actually, I'm working very fast right now. I'm on summer vacation, although I am in I'm taking online grad school classes and that's that consumes time. <clears throat> I'll be going right back to homework when we're done here, in fact. Oh. <laughs> but uh, but that'll be done in October. Even with that and even with uh, you know spending time with my family and you know helping maintain the house, I'm on summer vacation. I got a lot of time. I expect to have the majority of the battle state completed by the end of summer. I'm intending to enter Ballad of Thuriana in the uh, the Game Developers World Championship. They actually reached out to me on Twitter and suggested that I enter, uh, but I need to have something playable. So by the end of the summer, my goal is to have two playable battles. I don't know how good they'll be, you know, in terms of balance, but there should be something playable, including exploring a town and talking to people and finding items and treasure chests uh, and shops. Most of that's done. I've got, I've got all that working. Mm -hmm. So I'm really working hard on the battle state right now. Um, and I've gotten much farther, much faster than I thought I would. And so we're not even at the end of June yet. And I've got most of the battle menus done. And I'm almost to a point now where it's just going to be implementing things like the, the battle cutscenes and the spells. I've even got my victory conditions already worked in into the battle system. So it, things are moving pretty rapidly. So my plan is to have that demo, to actually have something playable by the end of August so that I can enter it in the Game Developers World Championship. And I'm also going to be showing it at the West Virginia Game Developers Expo in Huntington, West Virginia this fall, and possibly uh, the, the GDEX Expo in Columbus, Ohio <clears throat> in the same month. Having said that, after that, it's mostly going to be refining the engine adding whatever small things I need to it, doing bug fixes, and adding content. So content's going to be the big thing. Actually creating all the maps and the characters, the items, the weapons, the skills, the spells, and balancing all of that. The good thing is, I have a lot of game design documentation already done. Uh, basically, when, I'm not, when I don't feel like programming, or I'm not at my computer, but I still want to feel like I'm getting something accomplished, I'll do character design, or item design, or a story, or a battle, and I've got all these templates that I use and uh, to make the process easier. I'm hoping to have something done, like actually out, by the end of next year. No kidding. Well, all right. And <clears throat> somewhere you're going to have it like released on the Switch, is that... Uh, that would be nice. Um, I've actually contacted Nintendo about it once. For an independent developer, you actually have to contact them. You have to sign up for a developer's account and then contact them, pitch your game, and uh, and then they'll give you approval. Well, I did that, but I don't. I just don't think I had enough done. I didn't have anything really playable to prove to them, so I got denied the first time. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the other things that I'm really pushing for is to have enough done to send them the pitch again. So... <clears throat> I will certainly be doing that. I'm not giving up at all there, but I'd love to get it on the Switch. It'll for sure be on uh, Mac OS, Windows, and Linux, probably through Steam, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe Epic or GOG or itch.io. <clears throat> you know, make it available in as many different places as I can. 
Um, I'm also a huge Atari fan, and I'm I'm one of those uh, non-skeptical Indiegogo supporters of the the new Atari VCS. I'm actually talking to them about getting Ballad of Thurion on the VCS. So that would be phenomenal to to be able to say that my game's on the Atari. Yeah, it'd be a very big, be a nice release platform release for you. I think so too, and I think with the you know, I don't the, the the Atari VCS is not going to be the next big console, and they're not they don't even mean for it to be. But enough people are going to buy it that I think if I were to get if if Ballad of Thuriana turns out as well as I hope it does, mm-hmm. and I'm able to get it on the Atari VCS, I think it'll be one of I'm, my hope is that it will be one of those. Oh, you got a VCS? Oh, you got to try this. So I'm I'm hoping I can I can reach that uh, Atari community too. Kind of an unusual approach, but I'm an Atari ga- guy from the '80s, so. <laughs> Hey, nothing wrong with that. All right. Well, uh, anything else you want to tell us about the game? Actually, yeah, there is something I need to mention. It's going to have one hell of a soundtrack. We were talking about Shining Force music. Mm-hmm. Um, I have uh, hired the, uh, the the talents of a composer. Uh, her name is Harriet Ford. Uh, she has uh, a Patreon and uh, a, a, uh, what she calls Ferret Entertainment. She is a tremendous composer, and I, I feel like I've discovered her. This happened a few, maybe a few months after I first purchased the graphics assets and was interacting with the, the, with the Patreon community for my artist and realized that she was a composer, looked into her work, and thought, boy, this girl's talented. Talked to her for about... Uh, you know, a few hours one night about it, showed her my game design document. She said she'd be happy to, to write music for it. At the moment, let me get a quick count here. I've got 30 tracks. Um, some of them are not unique to Ballad of Thuriana. They're her, some of her Patreon work, but I can still use them. But they're, they're marvelous, and I want to see that they get uh, uh, to get, get out there. But overall, I've got 30 composed tracks, uh, most of which are custom. So we've got character themes, battle themes, uh, village themes, and uh, there's a lot of great music here. And it's if you were to go, if you go on YouTube and just search Ballad of Thuriana, the only thing you'll find is a musical showcase that has about 10 to 15 second samples uh, from, we'll say, most of the tracks. Uh, so if you want to get an idea of what some of the music's going to sound like, you can find it on YouTube. Awesome. I'll definitely be checking that out later. It's not 16-bit style. It's actually, a, it's it's modern, sounds like modern game music, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm totally fine with that. I mean, the Sega CD, Shining Force CD did that, so I don't, I don't have to have the, the 16-bit style. This is, it's, it's great stuff. I'm, I'm excited about this, the, the soundtrack, in case you can't tell. No, I couldn't. You just seem very <laughs> uninterested in it after all, after all that. <laughs> all right. Well, I think we'll probably wrap it up there this was our first ever shining force podcast episode and um we've talked about maybe doing doing it about once a month i think without over assuming our audience once a month is probably about right for yeah all our fans out there (laughs) i think that sounds appropriate and we both have lives and jobs and things so once a month is definitely seems like the right measuring stick for episodes i look forward to it me too all right i wanted to just take a moment to thank you for uh allowing me to be a part of it Uh, i'm i'm certainly had a blast today and i'm lurking looking forward to to future episodes so uh 
thank you. Oh no, I should should be thanking you and giving you money. I I was uh, writing the the script notes for this first episode, and I was thinking, man, this is going to be so boring. Me just talking for twenty minutes about these things without sort of someone to bounce off of. So done me a huge favor, and I really appreciate it. <laughs> Mutually beneficial. <laughs> so we'll wrap it up there. Okay. We'll see you next month. Okay, sounds good. All right. See you later.